Jasper. You never heard of him? <laughs> he was the best Czech film director. All of Europe was crazy about him. And I was his leading lady. This was years ago. But I starred in nearly every other film. Then we got married. We went to all the festivals. Berlin, Venice, Cannes. Hello and welcome to the Lone Acting Nominees Podcast, a show where I'm joined each week by a guest to discuss a movie that only received one Oscar nomination, that being for one of its performances. We'll talk about the performance in question, the movie as a whole, and its place in the Oscar race, among other things. I'm Gordon McNulty, and this week I am joined by Andrew Carden to discuss Sally Kirkland's Oscar-nominated performance in the 1987 film Anna. Andrew, good to have you on the show. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, usually this is the point where I ask my guest why they picked this movie, but I kind of, you know, it, this is the 50th episode. This is a big occasion. I wanted to pick a big movie, and I know this is a movie that you are, uh, uh, you have a, a particular attachment to, this performance in particular. So I, I, I reached out to you to talk about this one, but uh, tell me a little bit about what your history is with this movie, with this performance. Yeah, so you know, I was super excited when you reached out about this. You know, I did a... um. I did a list of my 100 favorite Oscar-nominated performances a few years back for my website, and uh, Sally Kirkland's performance in Anna was, um, I believe I ranked her, I haven't looked, but I believe I ranked her 89th out of 100, which is still pretty damn great. Yes. Yeah. There are some of the all-time great performances on there. But um, basically, my, my history with this is, you know, when I first started kind of going back into Oscar history, and watching older films that have been nominated, a lot of obscure films too. This was oddly enough, and this is probably about 20 years ago when I started to kind of go back and watch some of the older films. Um, this was a film that I encountered actually fairly early on because it often aired on this channel, which was called Flix. And I don't know if Flix is still around. It was, it basically, <laughs> this channel seemed to specialize in adult dramas from the 70s and 80s. So that's where I kind of managed to encounter a lot of these random Oscar-nominated films. I know a lot of like the old uh, Neil Simon comedies would pop up on this network. And so that's how I got to watch a lot of these films, which for some reason aired a lot on this network and don't necessarily get much play elsewhere whatsoever. Like Anna isn't really broadcast on any network that that i know of yeah know, this is a, this is a hard movie to get a hold of <laughs> this is a i have a dvd copy that i found like online a few years ago and i knew it was like i know i knew this was hard to find so I, I i went ahead and bought that uh yeah but my tv is not working so i ended up finding it somewhere online anyway <laughs> it's on nice. a, a website called like rarefilm.org or something oh yeah where, so i found it there uh, surprisingly in really good quality. I was not expecting it to be such a crisp transfer for a movie that is yeah. not streaming anywhere, not really, didn't get this, much of a home release. But uh, It's one of those kind of sad lost movies in that, so it was distributed by Vestron Pictures in the 80s, which lasted for about four years before it went into bankruptcy. The ba yeah. that Vestron basically, they had one hit, which was Dirty Dancing, and was a huge hit. And all of the films that they acquired with that funding were all bombs. And so yeah. they just they just went away. 
and their catalog went to Artisan Pictures, which also eventually went bankrupt. And I believe that Lionsgate ultimately took all of the Artisan catalog. But by that point, you know, the studio doesn't even necessarily like know everything that's in that catalog. And they may not even realize that this is an Oscar-nominated film, so it just inevitably becomes lost. And this film really hasn't streamed at all. Um, I think you can rent it through Xfinity. I know you mm -hmm. can do that, but I don't think you can through Amazon or Apple or anything like that. It's, it's really hard to come by. And I think that's a shame because, you know, I mean, this is a film that was nominated for a lead acting Oscar. It isn't that old. It's from the 1980s. And um, I just, I think it's, it's really a shame when, and it's really, it's kind of a testament to the importance of physical media. They really exactly. need these, these DVDs because this film, for all we know, may never really become something that goes on to Hulu or Amazon or whatnot. So it's a shame. But yeah. just going back to my history with the film. So the only thing I knew Sally Kirkland from was her, her kind of outrageous uh, appearances on the red carpet at the Oscars and how she would always be like the first person who showed up and she was always wearing the most outlandish outfits and she had the big hair and I was always like who is this woman like she is she is something and I think the first performance I saw of hers was she had an arc on Roseanne in the early 90s in which she played the abusive mother to um Darlene and Becky's boyfriends oh, wow. and, uh, and on that show she gives a really vicious mean nasty performance and I loved it and it, it kind of it really holds up uh, she and Roseanne kind of go at it and it's a much different performance from this one so that was my first encounter with Sally Kirkland and then I came upon this on flicks and I was just I had no idea what to expect and I, I found myself incredibly moved by it. Um, I thought it was uh, just kind of an interesting look at New York City at that time in the 80s. I, I love films set in New York City period, but this kind of this look at off-off Broadway in the mid 80s, the struggles of actors, folks who have immigrated to um, New York City, dreaming of becoming you know, stars, you know, that grabbed me right away. And then just the juiciness of the performance, um, you know, it was pretty irresistible. So this has always had a place in my heart and I, I was happy to revisit it. It actually had been a while since I had seen it, you know, several years at least. So um, yeah, I had, I had a great time watching this. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we get to talk about it. There's, I have a lot of thoughts and I'm mm -hmm. excited to uh, have a forum to talk about them because really there aren't that many opportunities to talk about a movie like this and yeah. uh i'm i'm glad this is one that when i when i was drafting the original list for the show and i i saw that this was one i got to talk about very happy that uh that that it's on the list because this is a yeah. it's a big story it's a big there's a reason i i saved this for episode 50 there's a reason this is uh, a milestone just everything going on behind the scenes but also just it's a it's a interesting little movie and i am Excited to get into it. So we were talking about Anna from 1987, directed by Jurek Bogajevich, I believe. I've, there's a lot of Czech and uh, uh, mm. Eastern European names that I'm going to try my best with. Uh, written by Jurek Bogajevich and Agnieszka Holland, 
uh, based kind of on the lives of Elzbieta Chizuska and uh, Joanna Patsua, uh, some Czech actresses that are sort of the loose inspirations for the main characters we have here, starring Sally Kirkland of Robert Fields, Paulina Porzkova, uh, Ruth Malachek, uh, Stefan Schnabel, Stephen Gilborn, Larry Pine, and apparently Sofia Coppola, although I scrubbed through the movie. I cannot find where's do you do you know where she, where she yeah, shows up? She plays Noodle, who which you know, so the character of Christina is writing letters throughout the film to this friend back home named Noodle, and literally Sofia Coppola is in the picture that it's we a, see. It's a picture. Yes. Yes. Oh wow! Wow, I totally <laughs> missed that. I'll, yes. have, I'll have to go back and look for that. I Maybe was, a five-second appearance. <laughs> I, I saw her name in the credits, and I was like, I I remember they kept talking about Noodle, and it's I, Sophia, I would you would imagine I would remember Sofia Coppola showing up in this movie, but right, yeah, I'll, I will have to go back and find that. Uh, so this uh, opened at the San Francisco International Film Festival on March twenty seventh, nineteen eighty seven. Uh, played a few other festivals, played New York, uh, and then opened in November of that same year. Very small opening. I don't think it even made a million dollars. And I don't think this got an, in- well, I'm sure it probably got an international release, but domestic, it didn't even make a million. So this was uh, incredibly small. This was, this was not a movie that was, that people were lining up, uh, up and down the blocks for it, to say the least. But uh, yeah, so that is the movie we're talking about. And let's just jump right into this uh, central performance here uh, from Sally Kirkland as Anna Radkova, I think is the last name you see on like the poster for the movie in right. like half a frame. Uh, I, I made sure to write that down because I don't think they mention her last name anywhere else. But uh, yeah, I mean, you talked about it a little bit up top, but what are your initial thoughts on this performance? What stands out to you right off the bat? Well, I mean, it kind of grabs me right away because you have this great shot. So basically, Anna at the beginning is receiving this phone call. She's, she's late to her audition. And the first thing we see is this great shot of basically she's dragging her phone like across the floor. She looks hungover. She looks like just a hot mess. And you just know this is going to be a very interesting and passionate performance right away. And she has an accent which is a little shaky at times, but I think bit. it's convincing enough. Um, but she just has such gusto in every single scene. I mean, she knows that this is, you know, a rare opportunity for a juicy lead role. And in every single scene, she just grabs it by the throat. And, you know, early on, she has this big audition scene. And it's just an exquisite piece of acting because she ha- it's this really rather humiliating audition where these, you know, asshole uh, producers are forcing her to do the most, you know, embarrassing things. Um, you know, they want all of the folks auditioning to talk about their sex lives, and she's hesitant to do so. So they instead force her to do a reading of Humpty Dumpty, and it's it's an incredible reading of Humpty Dumpty. Yeah, but, on um, one leg, spinning around, uh, shouting yes. all of her anger out in her recitation of. You know, Humpty Dumpty Saturday. It's it is yeah. it's a bizarre way to show off that this is a, a very good actress, as we're led to believe that this this character is a great actress. And the first moment we see of her acting is this just angry shouting of Humpty Dumpty. But I think it it really, especially uh, when she's she and these other women are asked to do their uh, improv recitations of uh, a a sensual moment in their past. Uh, 
whenever it gets to her, she's just like, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to stand here and be silent. And mm-hmm. I think like that shows a, a, like that, that's a really great way to show that she is a great actress and that like she is, she's withholding this information obviously because it's very personal, but also just she knows what her strengths are as an actress and she's not willing to put up with this uh, just weird artsy bullshit. And uh, we see that at least one of the directors recognizes that in her and he's like, oh, th- there's something here. I want to I want to get more from this actress that isn't mm-hmm. saying anything. But it's a really uh, interesting w- way to show that dynamic of this character that like she for as much as she is struggling to get a job, she's not going to debase herself just I mean, because it, it, if she doesn't feel like it and she doesn't feel like she has to, she feels like she's above that. And she is. And it, it's a it's a great way to show that side of her character. And also that she's just th- this person, that she's acting her sensuality, her, but also her refusal to show the sensuality just by standing there and holding very steadfast in her refusal. I, I, I really liked that moment uh, mm-hmm. as, yeah. And she gets to show her range because they have her do Humpty Dumpty kind of in a more of a heartbreaking mode. So she drops the floor and she's, you know, rocking Humpty Dumpty and it's kind of heartbreaking the way that she delivers it. So, uh, you know, Sally gets a chance to really show off her range in a really dynamic way within the first 10 minutes of this film. And the, the irony of it is that Anna is such a great actress that they hire her, of course, to be the understudy for every single role in this play, which is this really bizarre play called, I believe it's called Seven Women of Different Ages. So yeah. it's very young to super old and she's middle-aged so she can play everything, which means that she has to memorize the entire play and be ready every single performance to go on and deliver that specific role. So she's almost too good. So it's like a double-edged sword. She's so great that they only trust her to be able to cover everything and won't give her a specific role. Yeah. So it's just, it's such a great look at at the audition process, you know, at that time. And all the actresses around her are so different looking you know there's there's women of all sizes and shapes and personalities it's really a a kind of fascinating ensemble that you wouldn't generally see in a lot of films yeah yeah it's a i just it seems like that seems like a really bad play i'm sorry every time that we see it seems terrible it seems like (laughs) like (laughs) i don't even know how to describe it it's yeah every once in a while it'll just cut back and there's like there's some woman standing there in this weird dress with like a bird on her head and she says mm. my therapist moved to florida and then <laughs> the, the light shines up and someone some other woman behind her like holds up a, a statue to her face and that's mm. just the scene that's just the play uh anna's above that anna she, she should not have to be taking these roles even like even if she did get cast in the play like it, it's a good way to show how far she's fallen that like this is what she's aspiring towards is this yeah. terrible pretentious play about nothing where that seems yeah. just horribly I mean, tw- horribly produced yeah just- 20 years ago she was like the meryl streep you know back home yeah. getting leading roles in everything she was like the toast of the town and now she's struggling to you know get an understudy role in an off off broadway play that we can clearly see she knows is way beneath her yeah so it's just it's sad and she's living in of course the crummiest apartment 
you know, it's a wonder that she can, you know, feed herself and take care of herself. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, it's a, again, it's, it's a great look. You know, this isn't really a movie that, you know, necessarily comes off as like a great New York movie, but I think that, you know, it, it's really, it captures the look and feel of this scene at that time, which I think is great. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and at, at this point of the audition, this is where sort of the main plot if you could call it that sort of comes into play where this younger czech actress who has idolized on a as a film star uh comes to new york and just sort of finds like the, the she just sort of happens upon her which was mm. a, a bit convenient but uh <laughs> anna takes her in and the the movie from there is sort of the two of them and anna's on and off boyfriend sort of just existing in this space and interacting with one another. And uh, eventually it gets to some more melodramatic stuff here and there. But I, I don't know. It feels like we, it's, you can't really talk about her uh, Kirkland's performance without sort of lumping in these other characters because so much of it is how she plays off of, especially those two, especially off of uh, Robert Fields and Polina Porzkova. Um, right. And the, the the movie, of course, starts to uh, very quickly feel like all about Eve, where yeah. this girl just kind of stumbles into the theater and comes upon this actress who she idolizes and, and dreams to be and dreams to know. And then, you know, the, the, the way the plot kind of advances kind of does so in a very all about Eve sort of way where, you know, your main character, you know, your older main character, you know, is continuing to struggle. You know, she's brilliant, but can't get the role, so she wants to. And this young hot thing comes out of nowhere and just steals her thunder. And, you know, this woman that we've, you know, started to follow has nurtured her, taught her, and is responsible, largely so, for her success. But, you know, things are moving and, you know, a very troubling direction and eventually everything just of course kind of explodes for yes. Anna. Yes. Um, so it's, it's an interesting dynamic, even though I don't think that Polina Poroskova is acting anywhere near on the level of Sally Kirkland, of course. Oh yes, of course. I, I, I do think she's, uh, she's good in this, but uh, not, not quite on that level, but yeah, there's moments throughout with the two of them that I really like. There's this, uh, there's a moment I wrote down. It's it's a kind of a, it's a big scene emotionally that a lot of the movie hinges on, mm-hmm. where they're lying in bed with each other, mm-hmm. uh, just sort of. It, it's a very sort of uh, pseudo maternal relationship between the two of them, more so even than you would get in All About Eve. Like the, it feels very much like a mother seeing her daughter succeed in ways that she was unable to. Which I I, I thought that was a really interesting spin on this type of story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this scene, Anna is telling uh, uh, Christina all about how, like, back home uh, where she had this great love with her director and then he moved to New York and he became more American than the Americans and uh, mm-hmm. just the, the lost connection there and yeah. all this uh, political issues. She uh, beat up the son of an ambassador and was put in jail and uh, gave birth in jail and the baby died while she was in jail and just all of these very, very emotional struggles that she had gone through that led her to where she is now and led her 
away from her career and away from her stardom, essentially. And it's mostly done in just one take, just sort of like observing them on the bed as Kirkland delivers this very, very uh, you know, dark monologue. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I really appreciated the, like, it doesn't feel like this is someone unloading a burden that she's, I mean, she has been holding, She very few people know about all of this stuff that's gone down and that she's suffered through. But this feels like she, not m- m- almost that she's come to terms with it over the years and that she's just tired and she's mm-hmm. just saying it because she needs to say it but she has been handling this for so long that like it, it's no longer as sharp to her I, I get I, I don't really know how to verbalize what I'm trying to say there but like it, it doesn't feel like the the stereotypical very weepy very you know strained throat voice just uh you know shouting to the heavens all these terrible things yeah. gone through. it's very understated it is it is and you know her eyes are you know full of tears just streaming down her face the whole time and yet it really is very understated and nuanced i think it's her best scene in the film i think it should have been her oscar clip although i think it's probably hard to kind of slice out you know 15 seconds from that um i think she's just devastating and it just feels so real and she's so convincing and you can just picture that entire journey. And then when she comes back to New York, thinking that she and her husband, you know, can be, you know, this hot couple director and actress, and then to come to find that he just can't deal with the past and can't even deal with her because it just reminds him so much of the horrors of the past. I mean, that's just, it's so heartbreaking and it's just so masterfully delivered it's a it's a really well-written monologue i think i think it's you know really well done and i think she just hits out of the park i think it's just it's heartbreaking yeah and yeah it really is like i I, in my notes up until that point that happens probably like as maybe what 30 minutes into the movie 35 something yeah short movie but uh i hadn't written all that much on her specifically like she's very good in the first section of the movie, but there weren't really all that many moments that I found myself noting to to bring up. It, she's just sort of, you know, it's a, a, a three-person ensemble where they all just sort of are, are getting introduced to the audience, I guess, for the first section. But then once that scene hits is where I, I noted, oh, oh, this is like the turn to greatness. This is where the performance is really amping up to the next level. And it stays on that level for pretty much the rest of the movie even yeah. if it doesn't quite hit those great, like that high of, of emotional rawness, like she is still, she gets so much more to do from that point on once we get that side of her character, once we yeah. get that aspect of her backstory. And it, it really informs how we perceive her for the rest of the movie. And I, I think it, it comes at the exact right moment before things really start getting out of hand for everyone. Yeah, the performance becomes much more animated and explosive as it goes on, as the character, you know, struggles more and watches as Christina just becomes a bigger and bigger thing. So, you know, there's just, there's a tipping point and it's inevitable that, you know, Anna's just going to kind of lose it, which she does. And, you know, Kirkland, I think, hits all the right notes, but she never has another scene later on, uh, with the exception of perhaps one scene where she's, you know, this understated and quiet 
and just has a monologue to herself where the camera is just, you know, honed in on her face. You know, she gets to do a lot of other things, a little bit of, you know, scenery chewing, you know, parts later on. But it's, it's that scene that just really drives it home for me. And it's a scene that really grabbed me when I first saw this on TV yeah. way back when. Yeah, it, uh... I can I can totally see why that that it really sticks with you. It really, uh, not just for the content of what she's saying, but for uh, like I said, the the delivery of it in particular is very very gripping and very unlike what you would maybe expect from a movie of this overall caliber. This isn't the best movie overall. No, and but uh, it it, it, it only moments. Yeah, as a vehicle for Sally Kirkland, it succeeds 100%. Absolutely. Every, everything around her, you know, take it or leave it. Yeah. Uh, there's some other moments that I really like. Uh, there's, so there's a couple moments where she gets called in to be the mm. understudy, to actually uh, fill in for someone. Uh, there's one that happens pretty soon after that speech where uh, one of the actresses hasn't shown up. No one can get a hold of her. So uh, Anna is, uh, she's put in the costume, she's put in the makeup and the wig and everything and they're running lines and uh, she's about to go on when the actress that is in that role shows up. It was just bad traffic. Mm -hmm. And it's a really, uh, once that happens, once Anna is stripped of her her shot at at being back on the stage, uh, you you really see her just lose everything all over yeah. again uh and she's not she, she, talking she's completely yeah. silent but you, you just she, she does like for as much as this performance really succeeds in its big moments there are just as many moments where her reaction shot is is what grips you and if someone else is talking you're still looking at her you're still drawn to her she has a very expressive and very peculiar face that just really grabs your attention every time yeah. she does something with it. I mean, she is literally on the stage for the rest of the cast. She's in the costume. She is ready to go. And yeah. just, you know, just mere seconds before the curtain goes up, this happens. And it's just, it's so frustrating. And then she has a scene, I don't know if it's that same night. It's, I think it's pretty much right after where she tries to get into her husband's party with Christina and Anna gets rejected, but... Um, a producer or agent or whatever has Christina go into the party. And, you know, the, the one-two punch of that, you know, she's just getting progressively beaten down. Like, she just cannot catch a break. Yeah. And then, you know, eventually, you know, the big TV interview that Christina gives is what completely tears her apart. Yeah, and, I mean, talk about a reaction shot from her. Like, the, this whole time, uh, Christina gets this big TV interview and she... Uh, uh, Anna has told her basically uh, if you're going to be a star you're going like people are going to ask you about your life people are going to ask you about your parents and uh, like everything that happened to you back home so you need to come up with a story and uh, Christina's going to be on this interview and so Anna and the boyfriend whose name I have forgotten already uh, Daniel? Maybe <laughs> it might be Daniel it might be Robert it might be <laughs> it could be anything. Uh, Daniel sounds right, though. Uh, they they go in to watch it, and slowly as it goes on, Anna realizes that with some changes here and there, she just stole everything that Anna had told her 
uh, in that scene on, on the bed, all that, that very, uh, very private information about her, her life and her, her struggle. Uh, Christina just sort of co-opts it for the sake of her own career and her own, uh, you know, movie stardom. And essentially, like, she takes, you know, the dead child and the uh, persecution by the uh, by the communists and all of these terrible things that Anna actually went through. And Christina's like, well, what if that also happened to me? That would be kind of cool. I could be a movie star with that kind of story. Uh, and this whole time, you get a, a, a shot uh, where you have the TV and one half of the screen and Anna just lying on the ground next to it on the other half. And even though Christina is in close up on the TV talking, you're not drawn to her face. You're drawn to Anna just watching. And she doesn't really change her expression all that much throughout this. It is one singular look of just betrayal and devastation. Mm -hmm. But you can't look away from her. You can't, you, like, you feel like you would be betraying her by looking at Christina almost, which is a, a wild thing that a movie is able to, uh, to, convey to make you feel like you are betraying the characters by looking away from them but I really felt that and was surprised by myself that I did actually feel like I owed it to her to give her the attention in that shot it's it's a it's like I said very commanding very it, it, it is impossible to look away yeah and she just she tells the entire story in her eyes you can just see you know she, she's probably never shared this information with, with just about anybody else. I don't even know if Daniel or whatever the hell his name is knows everything. He doesn't. Because he, uh, 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 Christina says something about how, like, she mentions how she was in jail, quote unquote. And Daniel says, oh, wow, I didn't realize she was in jail like you. And right, right. Like, he doesn't recognize that this is Anna's story. He, he doesn't know these details that, like, if you knew Anna's story, you would know that Christina is stealing it and just changing a few things here and there. And he's writing the book about Anna. He's writing her mm -hmm. biography and he doesn't know these details. So she has kept the, this stuff very private and revealed it in a moment of uh, intimacy with someone that she thought she could trust. And, and like the, the saddest part about it all is that Christina's not necessarily doing this out of malice either. She doesn't realize what a horrible thing she's doing to this friend that has basically raised her uh, just in the yeah. past, like not even a year. She's taught her English, given her somewhere to stay, given her all these connections and friendships and everything. And she doesn't realize that this is a horrible betrayal of that trust. Right. And it's, it's just devastating. The interview's happening, and Christina pulls up in her limo, I think, and comes up, and she just is acting like, you know, la-di-da-di-da, -da, like nothing happens, and that Anna, you know, wouldn't be the least bit offended, and of course, Anna just had it, had it, and she basically throws, you know, all of Christina's stuff out of the window, and I mean, it's just kind of the beginning of the breakdown, and I don't know if it's that evening when Anna is called in to finally understudy, but it's just, it's too late. You know, she's so consumed with emotion and devastation and just a sense of betrayal. And she just, you know, wanders her way into the theater late. 
you know, she's drenched and just kind of wanders her way onto the stage and just completely loses it. Um, yeah. Both at her actors, at the audience. You know, she says, all you people care about is Mickey Mouse and Donald Buck. Yeah, I, I wrote that down. I love that bit. Um, that's a, a wild sequence just from start to finish. She shows up on, on stage and misses her cue and just instead of saying her lines, it's just like, why don't you like me? Uh, why, why don't you, uh, am, I, am I not young enough? Am I not pretty enough? And all this stuff. And the response from uh, the actress that she's uh, acting alongside is the actress just bites her on the arm. Yeah. Oh, God. Weird. And, uh, and then everyone just sort of like rushes to the, to the aid of the actress that just bit Anna. And so she starts addressing the audience about like, oh, you don't know what culture is. You don't know any of this stuff. Uh, and the audience just starts cackling and just like... Well, like, the crazy thing is that the show is so bizarre it, that this could be a part of it. That's like the, the thing. audience wouldn't even know. That's the thing. They, they all start talking immediately. Like the audience is in on the fact that this is off <laughs> script. This is more in line with uh, what we've seen of the rest of the play. Like, it seems like this is just how it's supposed to go, uh, except for the fact that it seems like someone very much did get bitten uh, yeah. for real. And then Anna, of course, is dragged basically off the stage by the stage manager. And this is where the Oscar clip is, where the stage manager that's pouring outside and the stage man and Anna's just in hysterics. And the stage manager just starts like slapping the shit out of her. She's just nuts. And I mean, Anna's just basically like about to collapse. She's just completely lost it. Um, and I, I don't know if I would have chosen this as the Oscar clip. I think it's it's just so jarring to watch. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's as a, a big moment. Clip. It, it, it she is. gets a big crying moment. She gets a big... Uh, I mean, it's more reaction shots. It's more uh, very, very physical acting. She, I mean, she did a lot of physical stuff with... She gained a lot of weight for the role. She has her hair done up all, all weird and it's it's a bit of a transformational performance to begin with, but like in that moment, because there's the rain coming down and she has the big stage makeup on and she's bawling and it it does feel very much like this is capital A acting because she oh, yeah. looks different and is crying and that's yeah. what acting is. Uh, a scene that I actually like even more is right after this where she goes back to her home and Daniel's, or whatever the hell his name is. I think it's Daniel. I'm going to check on Wikipedia just so that we... Uh, Daniel is it. there. Yes, it's Daniel. And okay. I Daniel. think it's then that he announces that he's going to finally leave her. And she, she does, I don't think she's even responsive to it. She just goes onto the bed and she's calmed down finally. She's just devoid of energy. And she just begs Daniel to, to hold her. Because yeah. that's, she just, she needs it. And it's not just that he's going to leave her. It's that he's going to leave her uh, so that he can go be with Christina in Los Angeles and they can, uh, yeah. they're going to maybe get married or be in a relationship Ugh. and uh, make movies together out there. And it's just a real twist of the knife for the yeah. night that she's had that uh, every, everyone is betraying her. Everyone is fucking her over. Everyone has it out to get her. Uh, and then... Uh, after that, it just it just keeps getting worse because yes. there is a, a theater in town showing one of her old movies, 
uh, and she goes to see it. It's mostly empty. Uh, there's a, a a couple in the background fucking like in mm-hmm. the row behind her, which I mean, it, maybe not this old Czech film if you're gonna go out. But uh, who am I'm who am I to judge? I've, yeah, <laughs> I've seen weirder. I've seen weirder. I. Uh, I mean, it's it's New York in the '80s, and anything could happen in a theater. That's true. Uh, <laughs> side tangent: I, I used to volunteer at a a, a theater on campus here, uh, and there was a night where the couple, like two rows down from me, were just going at it uh, at a screening of "Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf." Nice. Which, nice. Uh, oh boy, I don't know how you can keep that up during that. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I mean, more power to them, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah so she's at this screening. And am I right? Was is it the director that's also a few rows behind her, or was it just another old guy that looked like? Him? No, it's it's her um her, her it's on, I don't know if he's, she's still married, but it's it's her ex husband. Yeah, there. Who I think is the director. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so he's also there, a few rows behind her, and she's watching the movie, and the film burns, and it doesn't no. just burn and then stop. It burns slow enough that you're getting like individual frames of her face in close-up each one burning through and she's just faced with her own giant face burning up again and again and again and it's just like man after everything she's gone through the universe just has to give her one last fuck you it is i mean at this point she's just like norma desmond watching herself on the screen and you know, just this faded actress who, you know, I mean, it would be it would be such an honor to have. I don't know if it's a film festival in her honor or just this single screening, but I mean, talk about horrible timing. And yeah. then I believe right after this is, I think, the final scene of the film. It is, which uh, is a crazy scene. Feels very <laughs> out of place. Just like, not just thematically, but visually, it feels so different. I mean, because it's mm-hmm. a very different location. They're on a beach in Los Angeles, which, uh, so there's this movie being shot uh, with Christina. And the shot that they're getting is her walking up onto the beach from the ocean, I guess. Uh, and we see on a walk towards the set. Uh, uh, and then we see her walk over a child. We see her drop something in the sand and she picks it up and it's a gun. Uh, and then she goes over and she shoots at Christina and misses and then runs into the water and then Christina runs over and hugs her. And the movie ends on another uh, voiceover of Christina writing back to Sofia Coppola Noodle. Mm. And, and I believe a, she says that um, Anna had a nervous breakdown, which is quite common for American actors. <laughs> yes, I loved that. I thought that was... And then, like, it, it's, it's a weird... Like, this moment... Kind or this movie kind of struggles with whether or not it wants to be a comedy at some points. Like there are some very funny moments that come between some very heavy moments, but like mm. that coming right at the end, it's a good joke that feels out of place. Uh, but then it they call back to it like a few seconds later, where she's like, "Oh, Anna thinks that she might have a better career if she looks younger, so she, I'm going to pay for her facelift." That's also right. very common with American actors. <laughs> anyway, sorry grandpa died. I sent you some flowers. Bye. And the movie just ends. It's a very, yeah. very jarring ending. 
I'm not a huge fan of the structure with her writing letters to Noodle. I think it's kind of generic and it's kind of been done before. I didn't really need that. Um, yeah. And I almost, I think it almost would have been really haunting for this to end in the movie theater scene with the final shot being her, her burning reel. Yeah. I think that would have been a really haunting and I'm obviously, a, you know, a very sad note to end this on. But the way it ends is just so jarring. Yeah. Um, and, and also, like, uh, because it's on this beach that, like, the camera pans out and it's this giant, like, sand dune that mm. when, when you think about, like, how did Anna get there? Where, where did she, did she just, like, walk across that giant desert just to get to this set just to, <laughs> to, to shoot uh, Christina? Like, wouldn't they have seen her? I don't know. Uh, I know. But... Yeah, it, it's so visually out of place because everything we've seen so far is this very drab New York City and then we get like two and a half minutes of sunny California. Uh, yeah. That it's just, it's a weird ending. Uh, it is. And like we don't really see Sally Kirkland in it. Like most of it is from behind or on her feet or like in an extreme wide shot that you can't really see her. So it, it feels like it's almost underselling the character in that moment as well like you're not seeing what's going through her mind while she's watching uh, Christina have this successful career you're just seeing a blurry out of focus back of her head where we know she has a gun but like I don't know the movie's so good with her reaction shots we could have gotten at least one I don't like that Christina gets the last word I think that Anna should get the last word so yes. it doesn't end on a high. It definitely no. doesn't. But everything before then, you know, especially that half hour before then where Anna's just completely disintegrating. Just, I mean, literally disintegrating on the screen. Yes. Disin- <laughs> we're watching her disintegrate literally. Uh, yeah, it, it, I think you're, you're spot on. If it had ended with that, it would have just been overall a much, a, a tighter ending and also like, the the ending we get kind of undersells a lot of what it's been building towards so it it mm-hmm. does sort of leave a sour taste in your mouth but uh yeah no and ending on her would have been the right move and uh, maybe we can just pretend it does end there and uh, it's yeah. a better movie for it <laughs> sounds good <laughs> okay uh anything else about her performance uh do do we want to talk about do we want to save the discussion about the campaign for when we talk about the Oscars or do we want to get that out of the way now? I don't think there's any other scenes in this. Um, you know, I think when she learns that she's going to be the understudy is a great moment for her. Cause to yeah. her age, she's just like, do you know who I am? I used to be the, the, the street, the Hepburn of, of my homelands. And now you're giving me this, you know, I think, I think that's a great moment. And I do think there are some nice light moments between her and Horoscova like when she and Porskova are calling, I believe it's the agent, and yeah. uh, Porskova is basically just trying to charm him and all that. You know, I think that's very light and enjoyable. So I think she is able to show off her comic side. Yeah, there, again- there's, oh, there's one scene that I, I just remembered that I really liked where they're at Daniel's parents' house for like a, a birthday party. Birthday, yeah. And uh, uh, they are all served cake. And uh, right as Daniel is standing up to make this speech to his parents about how, like, I don't need you to, I mean, like, thank you for all your support over the years, but I'm like, 
a grown man with a child, I should probably learn to fend for myself. Uh, as he's giving this speech, Anna has stuffed her face with cake and just the awkwardness of that moment, she starts like having a hysteric fit of laughter and she can't mm. stop herself. Like I've, I've been in those moments where like something very dramatic or serious is going on and you just think to yourself, man, it would be really terrible if I started laughing right now. And then from there, you just can't stop yourself. And like, it's horrible, but you, you just like, the laughter just won't stop. And she knows this. she knows that she shouldn't be laughing, but she's just like trying to swallow this too large bite of cake and trying to not be the center of attention while uh, uh, Daniel is having this heart to heart with his parents. And it's a, it's a weird scene but it's it's a good light moment uh, for Kirkland to show off the more comedic side of, of things. Yeah. There's a nice scene early on, too, where um, she's just, I think she's memorizing the script on the floor backstage in the theater, and an actress or a stagehand or somebody else comes up to her and actually recognizes her and praises her for her work. You can just tell that Anna rarely gets that recognition. Yeah. So when it comes, it's it's all the more sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I did like that moment as well. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I mean, this is a great performance. Go seek out this movie if you haven't seen it. Uh, like I said, it's on rarefilm.com or something. It's rarefilm with two M's in film <laughs> dot something. Uh, and you can find it on there. Uh, okay, so I, I don't know if maybe it was just the versions I could find online. Is there supposed to be subtitles when they're speaking in uh, uh, Czech and Polish? The version that I watched, I don't think there was. Okay. Okay. That, that, because I, I thought like, oh, I'm missing some dialogue. I miss, I mean, I, I'm obviously missing it because I don't speak the language, but it's not like yeah. intended from the filmmakers that we are supposed to know what they're saying as an American audience. That, I that's... don't recall ever seeing subtitles with this. Okay. Okay, that that does feel a little bit better, and also that I, that I'm recommending this version that doesn't have subtitles. I don't want to uh, lessen anyone's uh, experience of this film, but uh, yeah, uh, we can move on and talk about the rest of the movie now, if you want. Sure. So tell us, how did you get the starring role in this movie? Well, um, my friends they gave a big party for me. And uh, this famous director walked in and he looked at me and he opened a bottle of champagne and he said, ladies and gentlemen, this must be her. Just like that? Yeah. That's incredible. How lucky for you. So uh, tell me about your parents. Tell me about your growing up. Okay, so uh, where do we want to start? Do we want to start off with uh, someone else in this cast maybe? I keep, I mean, it makes sense based on just the premise of this show that a lot of the movies I cover are going to be first and foremost a showcase for the actor and then like everything else around them is slightly lesser than but uh this is really like a Sally Kirkland vehicle and then everything else like you said kind of take it or leave it uh not bad but not nearly uh like you're watching it for her you're not watching it for the rest of this cast uh, but right. they're not bad they're not bad uh, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot else to, you know, to, to speak of. You know, I, again, I think Paul, Paulina Korskova, you know, who was, of course, a supermodel at this time, she was on pretty much every magazine. She was a Sports Illustrated model. 
you know, she's very striking, has a great screen presence. I think her acting is, is okay. Um, I think that her teeth early on are a little ridiculous. Oh, they're, it, it's, they're, they're grimy. Like, it, it, it's a point of the movie that, like, it's a weird joke that, like, all Eastern Europeans have bad teeth is the joke they make. But, like, they don't even look like teeth. They look yeah. like it's just, like, a singular row of grime that's, like, like, I don't even know. It's just, it's very weird, bad prosthetics that they have her in so that later on she can get her teeth fixed by this dentist that uh, doesn't charge her. And it's like, oh, she's a... Then she has the most beautiful teeth ever, pretty much. Yes, it is somehow a very easy fix. (laughs) Uh, You just needed one stop at the dentist and she has perfect teeth. But, and she's uh, able to learn English and speak it almost perfectly in, in no time as well. In six months. <laughs> they, they make a point to say it has been six months and she's speaking fluently. Outside of like occasionally not knowing the word for button. But uh, uh, right. yeah, it's a, it, this, this script has its good moments and has its... Uh, uh, this, there's some hard to believe stuff. There's some contrivances and uh, it's... This isn't a a screenwriting showcase that is going to wow you with its uh, adeptness, but yeah, it, it's it's an okay script. Yeah, it should be noted that you know Agnieszka Hollands would later get an Oscar nomination for Europa Europa. Yes, um, you know, so she's certainly more than capable of producing a great script. But in this case, you know, I wouldn't say it's, you know, an Oscar nomination worthy screenplay by any yeah. stretch. Yeah, n- uh, not by any means. But it, it, it has, like we said, there's some good jokes in here when it tries to be a comedy. I think that's maybe yeah. my biggest issue with the movie overall is that it has a lot of trouble deciding what it wants to be. I mm-hmm. feel like, uh, like you made the All About Eve comparisons. And I knew going into it that this had a lot of like a lot of people have compared it as like a sort of very low budget indie version of all about eve and there's hints at it here and there but like it doesn't really feel like it gets into the actual uh subversion of that where where uh christina becomes the eve character that's really becoming this popular figure until there's like maybe 20 minutes left of this uh, 100 minute movie like it feels like it takes a long time to make that part of its plot and to have that be an issue because up until that point they're still very good friends they're still living with each other they're still mentoring she's still mentoring christina and then she kicks her out and there's 20 minutes to go of the movie right the film basically abandons christina after the, the tv interview so you know until the ends but we don't but the end is just so chaotic that, you know, it's hard to really hone in on anybody. Um, yeah, I mean, Christina certainly isn't developed in the same way that Eve Harrington is in All About yeah. Eve by any oh, stretch. Yeah, and also because she's not nearly as uh, conniving as Eve is. Eve is very clearly, she has a plan that she's trying to enact. She's trying, she's being very underhanded and scheming throughout that movie. And Christina here is just very naive and very uh, unaware of the consequences of her actions it feels like like mm-hmm. she, she's not a villain in in the way that you would maybe want her to be for this story to be as compelling as something like all about no. it. 
And in that scene where they go to her, her husband's party and Anna's kicked out, but Christina's invited in, you know, Christina visibly feels really bad um, and she really wants Anna to go in and she even, you know, kind of insists on just going off with Anna and not going, but she's kind of just pressured into doing so. So she certainly is the, the conniving, you know, manipulative figure that Eve Harrington is. Nonetheless, yeah. You know, the story of the aging actress and the young wannabe starlet, you know, the all about Eve comparisons are just oh, inevitable. Yeah, the, the comparisons are certainly there. It's just, it, it doesn't have the same level of, of drama that All About mm-hmm. Eve does in terms of its, of how it uses that to advance its plot forward. Like here, it's just sort of, it feels almost like window dressing. Like it, it feels almost like an afterthought to the story is having this, uh, almost usurper of of Anna's fame because so so much of the movie is spent with uh, Christina just living with her and not having a job and not like I mean, obviously she wants to be an actress but they don't spend a lot of time on that uh, mm-hmm. with their relationship she's just sort of more of a socialite that goes around and flirts with these big hotshots and like oh maybe they'll give me a job but she doesn't right. really she doesn't really actively pursue a career in in acting. It just sort of is thrust upon her because she's so goddamn pretty that everyone is right. like, oh, well, she literally says in the interview, she was at a party and this director came in and saw her and was like, you're going to be in my next movie. And that's how, how she becomes a star is because someone looked at her and said, and just thought, you would be good in movies. She's not, yeah. she's not going out and auditioning. She, she just stumbles into it, uh, which, I mean, I, I get what it's saying there about how, how the industry values youth and beauty and how it's all just a matter of uh, right place, right time, and that time has passed for Anna. But I don't know. I feel like I, I would have wanted, based on the way that people describe it, as a an all about Eve style movie, I was expecting a little bit more. I think, in terms of uh, that factoring into the plot. Yeah, she's kind of just you know an accidental Eve Harrington, I guess you could say. Exactly. You know, yes. she, she, she she comes to America just to be with Anna because she loves her, she idolizes her, she doesn't want to replace her, upstage her, but you know, I mean, that's the business. And Anna is around all these movers and shakers who are responsible for making starlets. And, you know, she's just irresistible to them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the scene with the guy, uh, I don't remember his character name either, but he's, uh, he's in a bunch of Wes Anderson movies. He's in succession. Um, the, the, the producer that sees her at, at this agent's office and is like, hey, you're really pretty. Once you learn English, you should call me and I can make you a movie star. Like, it it is literally just because, like, she doesn't speak a word of English, uh, but this guy is like, you have something and I can make you a star based on that. It it really is just a, she stumbles into it. She accidentally is her way into stardom. Uh, Yeah. But I I think she's good. I think she's fun. Uh, it's not nearly as as layered a character as Anna, but I think she does a good job with those moments of of levity. She's definitely the the lighter side of the movie for the most part. Yeah, I mean, she seems very at ease in front of the camera, and again, is so striking and charismatic and beautiful. 
um, you know, it's not a bad performance by any means. It just happens to be, you know, upstaged at every turn by this other performance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think anyone else from this cast is really worth noting all that much. I think, like, Robert Fields is good as uh, probably Daniel is what we've decided his name is. Uh, I think he, he, <laughs> he has a few really good moments. Uh, but also I feel like the movie spends too much time on him like we don't need to know that he's this divorced guy struggling with being able to support his son and his Mm. his financial relationship with his parents and he can just sort of be a guy that's there and that's really all you need him to be uh and and you don't lose much It, it just feels superfluous whenever it focuses on his internal life i feel yeah I think he's only there because they felt they needed some sort of male character in the mix. Yeah. You know, I think I think even though he has, you know, a, he's in, you know, a fair amount of scenes, I think it's still a rather thinly written character. And I think Robert Fields is is perfectly fine, but I don't think really makes it particularly compelling. Yeah, you could excise him completely and you're not losing much from no. the story or from the uh the just the entertainment value of the movie. Yeah. Uh, although he he is he's not the reason why this scene is so fun, but he is in a a very out of place but very fun scene uh, where he and Anna are walking down the street arguing about uh, the book or something. I don't really know what they're arguing about because I wasn't paying attention. Because while they're arguing, there's this guy just walking behind mm. them eating potato chips and just like paying very close attention to their argument and. Uh, at one point, Anna turns to him and is like, what about you? What do you think of Czechoslovakian films? And he goes, I hate Czech films. And he's like, I don't get the point of that scene, but I, I mean, I was laughing. It's a funny scene. Yeah, I think it's a scene where Anna tells Daniel to leave his wife finally. Oh, um, that, that sounds right, probably. Yeah. I, don't know, I was just so enamored with this man's facial expressions yeah it just it isn't necessary to establish him in the way that they do i mean not that this film is over long or that it needs a lot of stuff cut out that's true but this could have probably been an 80 85 minute film yeah yeah there's a lot of superfluous stuff in here that i don't know it just feels like they needed to pad out the time so they threw in a few vignettes a few just moments for the hell of it Um, yeah I did like uh, going back to like very early on in the movie when they're uh, doing that audition, the very mm. weird, uh, we're going to have these four women come up here and, and just improv about their, their sex lives. Uh, and most of it's just sort of whatever. But uh, just the gag of having this old lady talk about uh, this <laughs> one time she was in this sex shop uh, buying a bunch of, you know, vibrators of all shapes and sizes and edible you know lube and just like having her just speak very excitedly about these very like very specific uh things that she was buying at at this sex store while these two men uh followed her around and took her into a porn theater and just like i don't don't even know where it goes from there because everyone starts talking all at once but it is right it's a it's a jarring moment that uh sort of an uncomfortable laugh that turns into a genuine laugh mm-hmm. is, is how i i ended up with that scene i don't know yeah okay. i kind of wish there was more of them and less of daniel i think yeah. that 
that they just because they're so eccentric and and strange um all these women and again it's it's all it's just women of all backgrounds of all shapes sizes personalities seven women of different ages that's the name exactly of the yeah I, I, yeah every time it cuts back to that theater i was kind of like oh yeah this is a part of the movie this is something yep. that we're supposed to have opinions about when uh, it, it doesn't spend enough time fleshing out that world i, I would have liked to see more of those actresses uh behind the scenes how they interact with anna as their understudy like what the dynamic is there why these women all seem to hate her like everyone on this set seems to have a grudge against her and we don't really know why mm-hmm. i don't know we could have spent more time with that yeah yeah no i mean i, I think that the scene this off-broadway new york city scene is so fascinating and the dynamic between, you know, Anna and Daniel just feels very familiar and isn't that compelling. So definitely would have appreciated more scenes in the theater and kind yeah. of fleshing out those other women. Yeah, it's about an actress. We, we should see yeah. more of her, her relationship to the actual field of acting. Yeah. Uh, uh, instead of her relationship to this divorced guy that's writing a book about her, kind of. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, oh, one other thing that I wrote down, uh, the score to this movie sounds like I'm on a loading screen for like a 90s video game based on a horror movie thing. <laughs> that's like very loose. Like, I don't know where that comparison comes from, but it feels like I should be looking at a bad pixelated rendition of Freddy Krueger where the colors are all weird. And yeah. I'm going to play a game that has nothing to do with the plot of Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, it is very synth-heavy and weirdly, like, almost horror-sounding. Yeah, slasher movie. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. It kind of, it sort of reminds me in parts, and you probably won't even, like, know what I'm talking about, is um, the score in Halloween 2, which was a very synth-heavy score. I've seen 1 and 3. I haven't seen 2. Okay. But, uh, so basically, that, they, for that tracks. Halloween 2, they basically took the first score and just synthed it to the hell up, basically. And a lot of the notes here remind me of that, oddly enough. Crazy. Um, I'll have to go listen to that. So it's not super fitting for this sort of movie, I don't yeah. think, although it, and, it's striking. And it was composed by um, Greg Hawks, who's the keyboardist for The Cars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's strange. Oh, very strange. <laughs> I, I don't think there's all that many people attached to the other uh, uh, technical aspects of this movie that I recognize by name. Like, even uh, the director, I don't know if I know anything else he did. Uh, looking at his Wikipedia, it looks like a lot of TV and a lot of other uh, uh, Polish films that don't really have much of a, uh, uh, I don't know, a cultural impact here. Agnieszka Holland, though, became a huge TV director, um, yeah. you know, doing uh, The Wire, um, House of Cards, you know, countless TV shows. So, you know, definitely had a great career on that end. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I I do. I do. I think we mentioned that uh, Christina gets the last line of the movie in her mm. her note home to Noodle. But the last line of the movie is, uh, "Boy, I love America." <laughs> Very, weird. I mean, it's already a weird ending as we went on about. But it's just weird note to end the movie on specifically. I don't know. It feels yeah. like 
in those last moments, it's trying to be like, this was also a satire. This was also, uh, we are criticizing the, the acting industry in America and how you, oh, all you American actors, you have nervous breakdowns and get facelifts and isn't mm. that something you should be introspective about? Uh, that's that satire isn't isn't felt in the rest. It is of the not. Film. <laughs> it is really. It, it it just adds to the feeling that the last sequence is tacked on for yeah. the sake of we need melodrama. We need there to be a big like. I would not be surprised if the original ending is that scene in the movie theater because that feels like it's an ending in a lot of ways, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and then it's just sort of a hard cut to this beach and she shoots her and then they're in the ocean and then it's over. It just feels like everything about that ending is very rushed and out of place. Mm. So I, I wouldn't be felt, You know, they may have felt it was just too sad, you know, too much of a downer to end on the real burning up. Yeah, so uh, let's go with the happy ending of almost killing her. I know, I know. It's it's so tonally strange and, and oddly written and, you know, bizarrely staged. Uh, I'm not a fan of it, but yeah. nonetheless, you know, I don't think it detracts too much from Kurtland's performance. No, no, not at all. Uh, especially yeah. not from the performance. Maybe from the film, but yeah. not from the performance. Uh, anything else that we want to say about this movie? Uh, or are we ready to move on and talk about the Oscars and the the reason why this is our 50th episode here. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do the Oscars. The nominees for best performance by an actress in a leading role are Sharon Moonstruck. Meryl Streep and Ironweed. Sally Kirkland and Anna. Then close in Fatal Attraction. Holly Hunter and Broadcast News. Okay. So, uh, before we talk about the, the big story here, uh, well, I mean, we, could, we should probably lead off with that uh, because it makes sense to, to go with that and then lead into how that, uh, that played out for her and for the movie, but... Uh, yeah, do you want to take it away? In terms of just the campaign with this? Yes. Yeah, the yeah. everything going on there. So, you know, I mean, Sally Kirkland had been around kind of a fixture in the industry for, you know, 20 years or so prior to this. You know, she had been in, she was kind of in the acting circle that um, Andy Warhol and Sylvia Miles and Robert De Niro and others, you know, hung out with in New York. And she ended up landing roles in big movies, very small roles, but in, in pretty big movies. She was in The Sting. She was in The Way We Were. She was in The Streisand Star is Born. So she's making tons of connections over the years. But she never really gets a leading role in any quality film until this. And, you know, she really utilizes those connections once the notion of an Oscar campaign comes up. And yeah. Vestron Pictures at this point, you know, Dirty Dancing does very well, but they're more focused on acquiring other properties, other films, than they are on an Oscar campaign, really. So Kirkland has to do the heavy lifting and kind of run her own campaign. 
and she goes full force and oh, yeah. you know she takes out her own ads and you know i mean that's something that other actors have done you know over time but she really takes it to new levels in that she goes ahead and she writes letters to every member of the LA Film Critics Association, to every member of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, and ultimately every member of the Academy. And this campaign becomes, you know, kind of this thing that's talked about around town. And these actors are talking about it, and people are saying in public that they haven't seen Anna, but they're voting for Kirkland because either they know her or they just appreciate the chutzpah of the campaign that she's waging. Yeah. And the LA Times writes basically a love letter to her, Kevin Thomas in the LA Times. He calls it one of the best performances of the decade. And this line is really utilized by Kirkland. And um, she ends up tying with Holly Hunter at the LA Film Critics Association. She gets the Gold- Golden Globe nomination and ultimately her campaign with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association pays off. She ends up winning the Golden Globe. And this is a really chaotic year in Best Actress. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's so many contenders in the mix. And oddly enough, Meryl Streep really isn't even on the radar that much until Oscar nominations morning. Um, She's kind of a surprise. Um, I should mention, too, and a really important part of this, is that Sally Kirkland's godmother is Shelley Winters, two-time Oscar winner. And Shelley Winters holds screenings at her home for all of her old Hollywood pals and Academy members of Anna, which is really only still playing in kind of art houses scattered around. It's really inaccessible still. So Shelley Winters talking it up, having screenings at her place, and Sally Kirkland having screenings at her place too is really paying dividends and you know folks are finally you know getting attention for this yeah it's it's a legendary story there's that that's the reason this is episode 50 is just because of all all the movies here it it is such a, a fascinating behind the scenes look at how a movie and how a performer can campaign themselves and get get themselves out there and turn a movie that not a lot of people saw, uh, not a lot of people even really knew about, and to turn it into a success story. It, it is, uh, it's fascinating. It's, it's great. It's great that she was able to make it happen. It's, it's also an era before screeners, even VHF screeners. The year after, in 1988, is when they started doing VHF screeners, when studios started selling those out. So yeah. she's doing this, you know, in an era prior to all the usual things that we're used to today. And again, this is a super chaotic race. This is a race where early on, everybody thinks that the winner is going to be Lillian Gish for The Whales of August. Yeah. This is her big comeback and she's ever won an Oscar and she gets a great review. She wins National Board of Review, but the film doesn't get like amazing reviews beyond her and it isn't a commercial success and Gish isn't really campaigning herself. So she ends up kind of fading away. And early on, Barbara Streisand has tons of buzz too because she's in Nuts and she has a huge dramatic role. It's her first role since Yentl, which was four years earlier. And everybody's convinced, you know, this could be, you know, her second acting win. And you also have Faye Dunaway in the mix. She's having a comeback with Barfly, which has been a huge festival hit. And she's getting amazing reviews for that. 
of course, none of these actresses end up getting <laughs> announced on Oscar nominations more now. Um, so, you know, Kirkland's campaign really pays off. People respect the chutzpah of it. And on Oscar nominations morning, she's included. And of course, Cher, Glenn Close, and Holly Hunter, who were expected to get in, um, they get through as well. Um, you know, I'll, the biggest surprise is actually that Meryl Streep gets in for Ironweed, which wasn't, you know, that critically acclaimed and it was a huge commercial flop. Um, so I think that there was a little bit of backlash against um, Streisand because um, there was like some controversy about Nuts and the production on that and the tension between her and the director. And then, you know, Faye Dunaway, of course, has always been a pretty polarizing figure in the industry. Yeah, so it's to not too least. surprising. Yeah. But n- nonetheless, you know, there were many people who could have made the cut. And I think that Kirkland's campaigning you know, managed to, you know, leapfrog over those folks. You had others in the mix too, like Diane Keaton was in Baby Boom. That was a, a nice solid hit for her. Um, uh, Joanne Woodward was in a, a film version of The Glass Menagerie. You know, she got really good reviews for that. So this is just like a really, this is like a clown car of a year where there's so many people in the mix. And Corcoran was able to just, you know, with the, the campaigning and the ad buying, and just the constant networking, able to make it in there. And, you know, you have to wonder, in an era where screeners exist, where she's able to send out VHS copies to voters, could she have perhaps prevailed? You know, in the end, I think a lot of Academy members just never got around to seeing Anna. It wasn't accessible enough. And of course, for Cher, you know, Moonstruck, huge hit. A lot of people thought she should have won for uh, Silkwood a few years earlier. Uh, her music career is taking off um, in a kind of a comebacky way. So, I mean, this is just a fascinating Oscar race all around. And Kirkland's campaign, you know, kind of set an example for folks like Melissa Leo, of course, many years later, doing a lot of self-campaigning. Yeah, or a, a previous episode uh, on this show, uh, Diane Ladd for Wild at Heart and those, those yeah, spaghetti exactly. dinners. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I could not have said that better myself. That That's a, re- a really great encapsulation of everything going on in this year uh, with this Best Actress race and the lead up to it. Uh, one thing that I, I read that I thought was fascinating is that one of the big reasons why Sally Kirkland wanted to be in this movie, like she had read the script and in reading the script was like, oh, whoever plays this role is going to get an Oscar nomination for it. Like it is that type of a role. And so she campaigned herself to be cast in the movie. Like she's already maneuvering and uh, uh, putting herself forward that early in advance. And then when she delivers a performance that she's happy with and is like, yeah, I think I deserve to be in this race. She carries on from there and obviously it does pay off. Uh, But I, I just, I love that she knew in advance, like just from reading the script that like, oh, I could make this, I could, I could really make this work for me. And uh, good for her for being able to do that. You have to wonder if other actresses, if it kind of came across other actresses too, if like a Meryl Streep was presented on a, you know, given the opportunity. I just think, you know, so much of the screenplay is so offbeat and idiosyncratic that a more A-list actress may have been hesitant to to get on board, especially for such a low-budget film. Exactly, yeah. 
So it's perfect for somebody like Kirkland. Yeah. Uh, speaking to some of those other, uh, like you mentioned, uh, she wins the Golden Globe uh, for Best Actress in a Drama. Other nominees here, you have Glenn Close for Fatal Attraction, who goes on to get the Oscar nomination. Uh, Barbara, like you mentioned, Faye Dunaway, like you mentioned, and uh, Rachel Chagall for Gabby, A True Story. Uh, mm. uh, at the Indie Spirits, this uh, cleans up big. Sally Kirkland again wins there against Joanne Woodward for The Glass Menagerie, Lillian Gish for Wales of August, uh, Deborah Stipe for Tough Guys Don't Dance, the Ryan O'Neill, oh God, oh man, oh God, oh man, oh God, oh man. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and uh, uh, Louise Smith for Working Girls, the uh, Lizzie Borden movie, Working Girls. Uh, yep. It's nominated for Best First Feature, which incidentally it loses to Dirty Dancing. Uh, yep. And uh, it's nominated for Best Screenplay, which it loses to The River's Edge. And then, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, she wins in a tie at Los Angeles Home Critics. Uh, interestingly, I, I, I forgot that both of the acting or both of the lead acting categories tied this year because uh, Jack Nicholson for Ironweed and Witches of Eastwick tied with Steve Martin for Roxanne, which is always such a cool, like, how close he came to that. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, he came close for all of me, too, yeah. years prior to that. Yeah. In, a, in preparation for this, I watched the siskel and ebert oscar nomination reactions video mm. or, uh, episode that they put out this year which uh specifically this year they made a point of uh the, highlighting the biggest surprises in each category like the biggest surprise inclusion and surprise omission um and they both uh made note of steve martin i think ebert said that he was surprised that kirkland got the nomination as well uh, just because it's such a small movie that nobody saw. And like, mm-hmm. I, I think he liked the performance. They both liked the performance more so than they liked the movie. That seems to be how most people feel about it. Uh, oh, yeah. No, I, I know that um, Leonard Maltin, when he did his review, you know, he raved about, about Kirkland, but basically said that she carried the whole thing on her shoulders pretty yeah. much. I think that was, you know, the general sentiment about it. Yeah. Uh, and as such, it makes complete sense that this is, a lone nominee because uh, what else really is there but yeah I, I just it's interesting that even though she wins the golden globe and independent spirit uh and la film critics and all this stuff and she is putting herself out there with these massive campaigns that it was still seen as a surprise that she got in i, I think sometimes i forget that like this wasn't a sure thing even and like i don't know it just it, it really hammers home just how cool of a nomination this is just on the strength of that she was able to make it happen yeah especially when you have past winners you know dunaway streisand perhaps even diane keaton a legend like william gish yeah you know joanne woodward also an oscar winner when you have these huge huge a-list names in the mix you just presume that somebody like her little bit will get overlooked but I, i don't know if journalists at the time picked up on her campaign in the same way that actual voters did. I think yeah. that there was so much chatter on the ground that may not have translated over to Chicago where Siskel and Ebert were. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, I, I would recommend checking out that clip. Uh, it's always fascinating to go back and look at uh, people at the time responding to what is seen as a surprise and what is seen as a, uh, a uh, well, I, a surprise inclusion and a surprise omission. Like, I was surprised that they were surprised that De Niro didn't get nominated for The Untouchables, which, mm. 
like nowadays doesn't seem like that was something that would have been anywhere close just because I don't think he actually got nominated anywhere and it's such a no the Untouchables is also hurt by um so I believe Untouchables was was a Paramount film and once Fatal Attraction really took off in the award season Paramount just focuses attention all the way to Fatal Attraction and the Untouchables kind of got lost a little bit beyond Sean Connery, of course. Yeah. Um, but moreover, the industry has always been so hot and cold on Brian De Palma in general. That's very true. So. I also just want to mention, uh, this is very tangential, but since we said we talked about uh, Whales of August and Gabby, a true, is it Gabby, a true story? Am I remembering that title? correctly? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I could be wrong here. So uh, take this with a grain of salt, but I feel like, this is the year I'm going to be talking about the most on my show. Mm. Because I think there's, out of the 20 acting nominations, I think eight of them, I think almost half of them are episodes I'll be doing. Because you have Wall Street, Dark Eyes, Good Morning Vietnam, this movie, obviously, uh, Street Smart, Gabby A True Story, Throw Mama from the Train, and Mm -hmm. The Whales of August. Wow. So nearly half of the nominees this year uh, are movies I'm going to be talking about. So I will be dipping back into this well plenty of times in the future. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a weird year to be the most uh, popular year just because it, it doesn't seem like it gets talked about all that often in terms of uh, as, a, as an Oscar year. Part, part of that is because you have The Last Emperor making a clean sweep uh, of all of its nominations so there's not as much in retrospect to talk about as like a like an actual race i guess but yeah i, I don't know but just uh yeah i mean i think that best actress is always the most discussed just yes, because you exactly. know there's so many high profile contenders in there yeah. and then the sally kirkland of it all of course yeah. is irresistible to film twitter yeah so uh, do we want to talk about these performances that are nominated in in lead actress here there, I mean, obviously, these are performances that have been discussed countless times, especially in these particular circles of Twitter. Mm. So, like, we're not going to be treading any new ground with them, but uh, it's, it's still worth worth talking about. Uh, and I'm curious where your uh, what what your ranking would be of these five. Who yeah. who comes out on top? For, I mean, I don't know. I'll 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 let you. Take yeah. With the exception of Streep, whose performance I think is fine, but I think she's in the wrong category, and I think that film is all Jack Nicholson. Uh, I think this is a, a very strong category, and um, you know, I mean, Cher is of course irresistible in Moonstruck. I adore Moonstruck. You know, I think she's just is such a sparkling comic turn, so sexy, um, just irresistible. I think she's wonderful, and Glenn Close, of course, is you know. Um, horrifying and yet completely empathetic and I think it's one of her her very best turns I think she's wonderful and you have Holly Hunter um, who is you know delightful in broadcast news and really um, does all she can with that wonderful James L. Brooks screenplay I think it's one of her her very best performances um, so I, I think it's a, a really terrific lineup for the most part you know, I'd probably kick out uh, Meryl Streep for somebody like a, a Faye Dunaway 
or a Barbara Streisand or, or perhaps even Lillian Gish, although I'm not the hugest Wales of August fan. You know, I, I think if you knocked Streep out of here and put someone else in, for my money, it'd be one of the, you know, the very best, best actress lineups. Yeah, and, and it's not like Streep is going to be hurting for nominations prior to or following this. Like, right. uh, you, you can excise a few here and there, and she's still far and away the most nominated performer. Uh, and that, like, you could cut off a good, what, all, she's almost 10 ahead of the next one by now? Or close to it? I, I don't remember what. Is she at 21 or 22 now? I think 21, but I could be wrong. Okay, well... I think it's 21. Okay. Regardless, that's yeah. way more than... <laughs> that's a, a, a pretty sizable lead over <laughs> uh, Nicholson and uh, Hepburn? Davis? Which one? Hepburn has more than Davis. Hepburn. So yeah, Nicholson and Hepburn both have uh, 12 then. Uh, yeah. I, I I watched Ironweed for the first time for this. I had seen the other three before, so I didn't rewatch them, but... uh. One, I was surprised as to how little of the movie she's actually in. I, I, I didn't really know much about it, but I kind of had assumed based on their their co-leading nominations that they would both be leads of this, and she's really not. Also surprised that there was ghosts. Right. Was right. not expecting this to be a, a movie with ghosts. It's, it's uh, an odd film. And I, I, think, I think Nicholson is great in it. I yes, think it's one yeah. of the last... Um, kind of un-Jack Nicholson-y Jack Nicholson performances where he's not kind of coasting on charisma. Yeah. So I think he's great. I just don't think the film is anywhere near as interested in Streep's character. And I, I think she's she's fine, but it just, it's not on the same level as, you know, her better nominations. Yeah. And it's again, all, I, I, she's supporting. Yeah. It's also very much like in the heyday of accent queen Meryl Streep. And she's going for an accent in this one that, uh, also maybe doesn't always stick the landing like it is a very big swing for her even yeah. as someone that does a lot of accents uh but yeah th- that maybe also put me off a little bit from her i think she's still very good in it uh but yeah supporting and just not on the level of these other four uh but beyond her i really struggle to to pick a favorite or a least favorite of these four they're all uh, doing so much interesting and so so very wildly different from one another that it's one of those moments where it feels like it's almost not fair to try to put them against each other, but that's that's the name of the game. And <laughs> ultimately, I, I think Cher is a very good winner. I don't know if she gets my vote, but I also don't know if she doesn't get my vote. It is it's a right. tough year. It's a very tough year. Uh, yeah. For for me, it's close between. I mean, it's not close with close. It, it's it's close between Cher uh, and Sally Kirkland for me. I think that Cher's wholeheartedly deserved, but I think my heart probably is with Sally Kirkland just for the, just because you know had she won this, I I can I just I'd like to think of what kind of career she could have had had she won the Oscar and how fascinating that would have been. What kind of role she would have taken on, you know, perhaps it would have been you know more supporting roles and leading roles. But, you know, I think she's such a fascinating screen presence. And I wish that she had gotten more work worthy of her talent. Yeah. I don't know. What have I seen from her after this? I know she shows up in JFK. But... Yeah, she's in, she's in the very beginning of that um, 
for ba- probably about 30 seconds. Yeah. But, you know, she really, you know, she did a lot of leading roles and kind of direct-to-video direct, you know, nothing a lot particularly of, great. Looking at the Wikipedia uh, filmography for her, a lot of these movies don't have uh, links to pages, which is never yeah. a good sign. Uh, no. And I think looking at these titles, uh, aside from JFK, the only movie that I've seen her in post-Anna is uh, Bruce Almighty. Right, right. Which, uh, she plays the waitress that in the diner that uh, Jim Carrey goes to. Would not have been able to tell you that. Uh, but <laughs> now, for what for it's, her, she was offered uh, the Diane Weiss role in Parenthood and infamously Ooh. turned it down. Um, and Weiss, of course, was Oscar nominated for that. So yeah. um, uh, there were opportunities that came up, but I mean, it, it's tough. But she, she did some interesting work on Roseanne, at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, God, just. Im- trying to imagine the uh the immovable for uh, object and unstoppable force of roseanne barr and sally kirkland going at oh uh, you gotta watch it you oh gotta boy watch it. i kind of have to <laughs> uh just looking at her other filmography she plays mother in a movie called cuck from 2019 <laughs> uh I, just these titles like it's not like she ever stopped working like post anna there's probably 60, 60 plus movies on here. I'm not going to go oh, yeah. through and count them all, but like she has not stopped working. She's in a movie this year. She was in a movie last year. She was in three movies in 2020. Uh, she, she works a lot and she also yeah. does a lot of TV alongside all of this, but uh, yeah. very little of it is stuff that you've heard of. Uh, yeah. Even yeah. if you're like, tuned into the movies that you're that most people aren't tuned into uh like ed tv is a title i recognize uh oh she's also in the player as herself i i skipped over that but uh, yeah everybody was in the player yeah that also <laughs> hardly counts um but yeah she's she's not stopped working but there uh there it's not like these are things that are on the radar certainly yeah. not anything that is uh in the conversation anything that she can campaign herself for again i also think that had Cher not won the oscar Cher would have done more movies and could have had a more interesting film career yeah yeah i I would have liked i wonder what she would have done it's it's all uh, all speculation i I mean Cher received countless offers but she was just so picky i mean i don't think she did another movie until mermaids in 1990 and that's three years after moonstruck yeah and then beyond that it's like you could probably count on both hands the movies that oh, yeah. she appears in that aren't yeah. cameos. Like, right. yeah. I mean, and and obviously Holly Hunter would go on to win uh, mm-hmm. in a few years, and Glenn Close uh, still, still hoping, still, yeah, still going for it. Still having. It still could. <laughs> it's a. Who knows? Who who's yeah. to say? Who's to say? Uh, what else do we want to talk about? Like I said. It's not like any of these other categories are really ones that we're going to be talking about this movie as being uh, snubbed for. Like, I don't think the the video game score by the Cars guy is necessarily. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you have to keep in mind too that it really wasn't getting pushed in any other category. I mean, it's not like Kirkland was campaigning it for original screenplay. Yeah, you know, like she was it, campaigning herself. 
like it got the screenplay nomination at the Indie Spirits, but that's right. like the third year of the Indie Spirits. That's when they're still like the most actually indie, actually like movies you've never heard of yeah. uh, type nominations. So like that getting in there is not necessarily indicative of actual support on an industry level. Right. Uh, but even that, like when you look at the nominees for original screenplay here, it didn't have a a a chance in hell. No, 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 no. Yeah, um, yeah. There's really not all that much to talk about, especially considering I have another seven episodes for this year. So I will, I will not be uh, running the well dry on 1987 anytime yeah. soon. I'm interested to see how much you can make out of Anne Southern's performance in The Whales of August. I mean, I've, I've done. <laughs> I've done some short <laughs> ones already. I already did uh, Beth Little Whorehouse in Texas. I, oh, did, I, I, I listened to that and that was a great episode. It was, it was a very fun one. Go, I yeah. mean, uh, this is the 50th episode. There's, there's 50 of these at this point. Uh, there's uh, all sorts of fun ones that if you have, I don't know. I, I assume at this point, people that are listening have probably are aware that there are other episodes to go check out. So I don't know who I'm advertising towards, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that is an especially fun one. But yeah, I, I got some short... I have some other very small performances coming up at some point in the future, and now I can't think of any of them, but that that's uh, that's on the lower end for sure. But there's plenty of stuff to talk about there otherwise. There's Lillian Gish, Vincent Price, Betty Davis. Oh, yeah. All of everything going on there. Uh also just you know everything in this year all the ones that i'm doing in this year are fascinating as, as, by by virtue of the fact that they got nominated yeah just like throw mama from the train is an acting nominee uh, yes <laughs> wall street is one of the rare winners like especially oh, yeah. especially in lead actor like that does not happen and just everything I, i'm excited to do some of these movies i'm excited to come back to this year in the future uh yeah that's uh that's where i'll leave that it was i don't know i don't know uh, <laughs> it'll be great and i i think i, I mean ann ramsey's nomination is just hilarious i don't think that would happen today no I think that, that was uh, you know a special thing yeah it is in the uh the, the five-year period where a lot of supporting players in billy crystal movies get nominations that end up on my show so uh <laughs> i'll 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 do three of those at some point so those will be yeah. fun yeah uh anything else though on uh this this year at the oscars or in particular anna and sally kirkland at the oscars? no i mean i just encourage folks to seek it out i mean you may have to buy the dvd you know yeah. but it's worth it it's an awesome performance i hope it's eventually streaming somewhere and you know i know sally kirkland's very active online i hope she comes upon this podcast and gets a kick out of it i i, um, I hope so yeah a great uh, one. uh with that we can move on to our last little segment here uh although i can't imagine there's going to be that much of of an answer here from either of us so in your fantasy world where you get to pick all of the nominees what nominations would you have given anna uh, I suspect just the one um, for Best Actress. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think anything else would, would really come close. 
Um, you know, I, I do enjoy the look and feel of it, but, um, you know, this is definitely, you know, a one acting nomination play. Yeah. Um, I mean, potentially win for me because I really, I, I do wish that, that Kirkland had taken this and I just, I, I can only imagine what kind of career she would have had after this. I think it would have been a really fascinating one. Yes, exactly. I'm right there with you. Uh, I liked Polina Portiskova, but I don't think that's nomination-worthy work. And other than that, nothing stands out to me as a, even having in consideration. So, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Completely deserved nomination for Sally Kirkland. Nothing else really uh, makes a case for itself. I haven't had all that many. Uh, usually if there's a movie... Uh, that I don't give all that many nominations to. I don't, it's, that's just because it's a bad movie, like Saratoga Trunk or something. Oh gosh, uh, yeah. uh, I've had a hand, like uh, American History X was one in the past where Mm. I give it the acting nomination and uh, nothing else. But yeah, that's always an interesting case when that happens on this show. Uh, I mean, you just mentioned, you know, Vessel Whorehouse. I think that that would have been a great, you know, costume design nominee, perhaps production design. Yeah. Uh, one of those songs, I think, is original that we, and we mm. talked about that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's one that very easily could have been multi-nominee. But yeah, Anna, just the one. And I, I think it's a very deserved one. And uh, they got it right for giving it just the one. They yeah. got it right for not giving it a random coattail on the basis of those Andy Warhol and Joan Rivers connections that she pulled. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, uh, thank you for coming on. This was a wonderful 50th episode, a very informative and very fun discussion about this uh, very interesting and uh, underseen movie. Uh, this was great. I, I had a ball. And, you know, I'm glad that there is now a podcast out there that goes over this performance because it's such a great one. Yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, where can people find you and your uh, presence online? Yes, yeah, so my website's theawardsconnection.com. Um, I'm kind of building out this um, library of old foyer consideration ads. So that's kind of the focus of that right now. Yeah, I was looking through um, some of those uh, before we hopped on this call. There's a <laughs> lot of those that are uh, uh, ones that I've already covered. Like I was just scrolling through that and I was like oh there's Marathon Man there's Last Summer there's uh, <laughs> a, a surprising amount that you've pulled that are uh, that got that low nomination so uh, yeah, yeah. yeah fascinating stuff um, I'm also over at Awards Watch um, probably doing some Emmy articles over there uh, this Emmy season and I'm at Twitter at Awards Connect right on yeah go, go check out all of that stuff there's a uh, plenty of great work that, uh, that you're doing out there uh, you. you can find this show on Twitter and Letterboxd at Lone Acting Noms and on Instagram at The Lone Acting Nominees. That'll be it for this episode. Thank you for listening.